0: What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod. We're giving you your your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Dave Martin. Son, what's going on, dude? Hey, man. Happy April Fool's Day. No podcast today. Sorry. Yeah, if you're listening to this, this is not the podcast. This is just Dave and I hanging out. As always, if you enjoy us hanging out or listening to us talk about pop culture, hit that subscribe button and go iTunes. Yeah, kind of crazy as April already. For real, man. You're chugging along. Yeah, I I feel like January and February, kind of slow. And then as soon as March happened, which was like five weekend month, mad shit's come out. Now April, April's jam-packed. So as always, the culture continues, my friend. We were talking right before we got on there, how Game of Thrones and Avengers are coming up, which is like two of the biggest moments of the year. But later on in the year, we obviously have Star Wars, and that will be a whole thing of its own. But this really feels like this is the real. We're getting into the meat of things now. So we're in the end game now. We got a lot to talk about today. A lot of we got music, TV, and movies giving you the whole, whole onslaught. Let's start with Lil Nas X, "Old Town Road." Been making some waves in the music world. You know, this is interesting. So the song "Old Town Road." Dropped back in December of last year. Got a little bit of attention, but then Justin Bieber, I think it was on his Instagram story, mm-hmm. said, yep. You know, this is my new musical crush, and was listening to the song and gave it a shout out to his followers. Quickly picked up steam, obviously, because the biebs he makes moves happen and started climbing the country charts. Which is interesting because I don't know if people would describe Lil Nas X as a, uh, a country singer, would you? No, despite having horses in the back, he came up as an <laughs> Atlanta trap rapper. He's I think he has two projects, but they're not on Spotify. They're just on like SoundCloud. And yeah, he's a is a, a new another, another trap artist. N- nothing out of the ordinary there. I actually wasn't familiar with him because he hadn't really made that many waves with those traditional rap songs. But then Old Town Road comes out and gets picked up with lots of memes and SpongeBob memes and all, all that, and evolved as a viral song does in 2019. Not really surprising. But what's so interesting is the whole country thing. I think the, re- the reason we're talking about this today is because the song started at the top of the country charts and like was being like requested in country radio and all that and then Billboard decided it wasn't actually a country song, and they took it off, and there was this big backlash to that, and that's kind of what everyone's talking about, and I find it very interesting, because you, you mentioned Bieber shouting out a song getting big, but like, the, the song right now, as of time of recording, is number two on the U.S. top Spotify charts. It was number one before Billie Eilish dropped her album, which is crazy. Like, it, it's the biggest, it was the biggest song on Spotify, period, not just country, so, like, the song is, like, that big i think it's like top 10 globally too so quite a massive song again it's under two minutes it's a pretty simple track that i would really call i think country trap i wouldn't really call it country to spoil the convo upcoming but i mean w- what was your takeaway when you started to dig into the, uh, the backlash to the removal of old town road from the country charge what would what, you make of this because this sounds like a very uh 2019 issue with the charts being so influential and a real talking point these days to call it 2019 issue i think actually takes away some of the history of this because when you think about what makes country music i guess people would consider like you know acoustic instruments guitars fiddles things like that when you think about what makes artists that are not rap so when you go outside of rap like what spheres do you see black artists and you see them in pop sometimes in rock music not as frequently and then you see them in rhythm and blues. It's like the catch-all term. When you see Hispanic artists, you know, it's Latin music. That's the catch-all term. And I think this is really like what, where it comes down to. It's just that while I don't know if Old Town Road, I would necessarily consider it a country song, this idea of what makes a song a certain genre and genre blending just in general is really interesting, especially because it does seem to have a history of racial overtones behind it. These artists being categorized based on their, you know, their ethnicity rather than by the music that they're actually making and what that music qualifies as is. Interesting, especially like Latin charts, still. I think they just basically put together any song that's like mainly Hispanic sounding or speaking, which that includes hip hop, rap, pop, rock, like it all flows in together. So I find this actually a pretty fascinating topic. What was your take? You're right. It's not just existentially a 2019 problem because we've seen this come up. And I think what I started to grab onto was that I think this just kind of sets a bad precedent the way this was going. And I think it really, you really have to kind of analyze how country music is operating these days. And again, if you're new to the channel, which please subscribe, rate and view on iTunes, all that, you'll probably notice that we don't have any country reviews on the channel because we don't actually like, like country music. So I'm kind of coming out as like a top-level music industry perspective. But country music right now is kind of having identity crisis with its charts too. So it's really funny to see then this new song that's really, I mean, it's got a trap beat. So I, I do side with Old Town Road not actually being a country song. But I'm more instrument in the precedent. And all, all the top country songs right now, you go on these charts, and these are all like very pop-influenced songs. You mentioned fiddles and like a traditional instrumentation. A lot of that's disappearing from top-end radio country. So the fact that country music would start to get on its high horse when it's already been selling out and just being a worse version of pop music i think it's kind of rich just speaking to actually like race i think if little nas x put this song out and his name wasn't little nas x it was just his birth name or maybe he's just a white guy they probably would have let it slide because i mean we have songs like body like a back road by sam hunt that's that, that's very country or meant to be by bb rexa and florida georgia line which is just a straight pop song country doesn't mind depending on who's involved but everyone got mad and you know bringing up race and all that but i think the problem is if we go down this road then you're gonna let people try and get into hip-hop and use this kind of like barely there logic and i think it, it kind of opens up a can of worms i mean look, look at the the hip-hop charts right now we have. Sunflower off the top, Post Malone, Sway Lee. There's no rapping in that song at all. That's nope. a singing song. Doesn't mean the song's bad, but that I'm just saying it should be on the hip-hop charts. Yeah. Uh, Please Me, Cardi B, and Bruno Mars, the same thing. There's a little bit of rapping on that. Mm-hmm. Remember uh, a few years ago, Drake, Hotline, Blink. He's like, I don't know why they thought that was a rap song. I wasn't trying to make a rap song. You can give me an award or nominate me for an award that isn't a rap category. Yep. I-, I think still classifying things correctly is wise, but also I think the barriers... You have to call both ways. I think country music itself is kind of looking a little foolish here. But I mean, what do you think? Do you think it really matters? Do you think this will come up again? I think it'll definitely come up again. Only because I think the further and further you get down the line from the genesis of anything, the more that there's going to be blending just by the nature of people having these different influences in their life. Interesting part to Lil Nas X Old Town Road is that this seems to be him just trying to capture an internet moment. And then this became a whole bigger issue because I, I supposedly the story goes he was like put this out at a time when a lot of cowboy kind of memes or like Western memes were on the internet. So he just wanted to like
1: put this yeah, out Red Dead the-
0: Redemption 2 had just come out. So it's fitting, good timing. And then this really has like grabbed this discussion, which is just kind of fascinating and also like very smart of him to like put this out and to get to get this kind of conversation going whether he's intended it or not just pretty amazing i guess i, I come back to like how are and we talked about this with like streaming i think about a year or two ago when we talked about how they're going to use streaming into like the charts to to really see who is selling the most records what's actually the most popular is how are these gatekeeper organizations whether it's Apple or Spotify or Billboard music charts, how are they going to start defining these ones that do blend these genres? That you think about someone like Chris Stapleton, he's very clearly rock and country. Are we going to have to pick a side with this? You know, to bring in like a, another, it's not apples to, to apples here, but like in the MLB, there's an issue right now, or there's going to be one coming up next year where you're going to have to declare what position a player plays, but you do have some people that play right. pitch and hit. And it's like, is that what artists are going to have to do when they drop this music? Say, like, oh, I want this to be a right. hip hop song, Submit. this is a country mm-hmm. song. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea. What, what are your thoughts around that? They're probably going to do that because all these gatekeeping organizations want to classify things. And I mean, we think of something as monolithic and largely irrelevant as the Grammys. To their credit, they didn't nominate Post Malone for Best Rap Album. Mm-hmm even though he was nominated for Album of the Year and all that. They kind of saw through that, I guess, because it, ha- it didn't meet the threshold of rapping. They, they said some percentage of rapping, there wasn't enough. So maybe if, if we kind of apply that kind of threshold to charts and radio placements and things like that, I don't know. Shout out Grady Smith on YouTube. He has a great video called The Beat That's Ruining Country Music, mm-hmm. and he talks about like clap beats and how basically country is just trying to copy what pop music's doing, just not as well. Uh, he speaks about it very eloquently. I'd recommend that video. This kind of applies to what we just said about country kind of getting on its high horse now of all times when they're trying to take the influence from hip-hop and pop but you don't want to discourage artists you know make what you want to make but we i think we do need to find some way to prevent this blatant category fraud whether it's little nas x or whether it's sunflower you know so i think the conversation will keep going i think somehow so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I don't think we, we've heard the end of it. I actually wonder if this is a bad thing for country music And you know, People are talking about it that wouldn't usually usually be. It's going to be, I think, fascinating to see if this is something country can embrace a little bit and start to genre blend more, or if it's going to like push them in the opposite direction. I, I could see it going both ways, so just an interesting thing to think about, but well, I want to move on to some other music. Another young, newer, I don't know the way to say it, because she's, what, 24? Saweetie, dropping her it's first album, right? Second album, number two. Icy. Well, EP. She's just a two EPs. Right. Not that much. Debut music. albums later this year, but this is her second EP, and there's a third one on the way, I believe. Yeah, she kind of came on the scene what, 2017 with Icy Girl. Yeah, that's right, Icy Girl, which originally was just like a freestyle she posted on her Instagram, and then she made into a real song with like video mm-hmm. and all that, and. Yeah, that song caught on, got picked up everywhere, was an Insecure last year, you know, that that song was huge for her. She came up quick, and I think became a star of sorts quick, which I think really kind of speaks as something that's a little bit undeniable about her artistry even if I think musically she's still a bit of a work in progress but I mean had you listened to her high maintenance EP last year or was this like the first like project of hers you this was my first I think time becoming aware of her as an artist I really liked a lot of what I heard I was really surprised to hear Quavo on two tracks and then you know doing a little more research makes a lot of sense why he is but i actually i actually felt (laughs) like when he dropped in was when i felt like least engaged with her music i found her a much more engaging artist on this project in general and i I mean i do think that there's there's a lot of refinement here and she can go up a level but there's a lot to like to the quavo point sounds like quavo these days (laughs) shocker It's funny because like Sweetie Sa- also came in the news for uh, negative reasons because XXL posted all their uh, pitches for freshmen. Obviously, the cover will come out in June, so then it's that time of your decisions to be had, right? And Sweetie was like the only one to like kind of like freestyle her pitch, but didn't really go that well. They took the video down and got a lot of hate. I was like, Oh, that's 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 really bad timing considering you're putting out your second EP and trying to really capitalize on this moment and if you remember uh, we did our early xxl list last year and i said Sweetie probably makes sense as a pick assuming she releases at least another project between then and now and sure enough here we have it and i think ultimately i, I like i like her swagger i like her persona like i said i think she has a natural star power to her and i think da- dating quavo someone very famous in rap but probably is getting eyeballs on her whether that's fair or not but i, I think she still kind of struggles with her flow i think this came up with xxl for video but like I think some of these songs, like "My Type," which is the freaky beat, really—that's right? that's a a beat that has been re- largely untouched. That's a beat that really shouldn't be touched if you're really gonna do some good with it, right? It's a famous southern beat, and I, th- I think she kind of messes up at times. She kind of like doesn't doesn't live up to the beat. I don't know, and I think other times, like "Emotional," which Quavo short verse aside, I think that's a song where she showcases a lot of different flows, raps and sings a little bit, and I think that's a song that kind of really shows. I guess, like, the ceiling of, like, what, what else she can do, because Icy Girl, great song, hot song, pretty one-dimensional mm. rap, though, and getting past that, I think, has kind of been what she, you know, needs to do, and, like, last year, like, songs like Good, and Good, like, she's shown things, then she had, like, a loose single with G-Eazy and Rich the Kid, Up Now, and that really showed her, like, Bay Area fide. so she's kind of dabbling in a lot of different sounds, I just want to see a little bit more of a refinement, and again, she continues to show versatility, but I guess this is up the quality a little bit more. But ultimately, I, I was surprised. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. But Emotional is definitely my favorite song. What about you? Yeah, I thought Emotional was good. I also like Hot Boy. Like, that really just, like, shows off her braggadocia, for sure. Like, I got a big dick. Just <laughs> was, and I just, like, was, like, dying when I first heard her say that on the track. So I, I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> it's interesting we have so many really strong female rappers right now it's like a really it's awesome to see you know and someone we haven't even been talking about but has been dropping some really solid singles is T R Wack. and i'm assuming we're going to be getting a project from her soon it's really great to see so many female artists coming up in in that sphere right now and really quality ones too so before we we move on to our last record Billie eilish i wanted to ask you do you have any thoughts on nipsey nipsey hustle ah man yeah, you, text, you broke the news to me. I uh, hadn't been on Twitter that past hour, so I missed the initial he'd been shot news. Yeah, very sad, man. I, I wasn't the biggest Nipsey fan. I wasn't like super emotional the way I was with Mac Miller passed or anything, but he's always an artist that I think hip hop fans really respect because he's been around a long time and really embodied that modern day west coast la sound kendrick lamar really respected him and he he was always a really thoughtful guy and really could really put into perspective considering the upbringing uh, come up he really had and hopefully this puts a lot of people onto his music because i think there's a lot of nipsey music but it's i think it's all it's there's some good stuff in there and again it's 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 like more lyrical west coast gangster music than you expect on the surface of when you like oh nipsey hustle looks like this he's got gang ties uh You know, you judge him right away. But similar to like YG, he kind of has a little more under the hood once you really listen to him or watch an interview or something. So disappointing loss for sure. And yeah, I mean, you can see it online. Athletes, the whole industry, everyone is very disappointed, you know. I mean, just this past year, the Grammys nominated victory lap his album from last year for best rap album and that was a huge look but also really inspired choice you know nipsey hustle doesn't have radio hits or anything Mm -hmm. so it really showed the grammys getting it right in a sense even if i wasn't the biggest champion of that album it's still a really lyrical respectable project so definitely a tough loss man unexpected of course like all this stuff is but yeah it sucks yeah it's definitely sad especially you know seeing the outpouring It, it seems like his influence was incredibly positive not only in terms of his collaboration and and being an inspiration thing for a lot of people, but also delivering a message that I think a lot of people in hip hop, especially younger people in hip hop, hadn't heard at the time. You know, a lot of like, you know, you don't need to blow all your money on these things. Like, you can invest it or you can try to to get skin in the game in other ways. So, yeah, it's definitely sad to see these sort of things happen. Every time I break news to you, I feel like I'm just telling you that another rapper died, which is also like a super a super bummer. I think the last time I broke news to you was Max, so just uh really disappointing to see you know another loss like this i'm trying to remember did you also text me when x died i think we think we were we Not were sure. about to record i think i might i might have broke to yeah teeth that's then. right anyways moving on to teen sensation billie eilish we've been talking about the lead up to this album when we all fall asleep where do we go when i first read this album title galaxy brain right there it it made more sense after (laughs) listening to the album and seeing it was a part of a song called bury your friend but it she she fascinates me right so she dropped this song back in 2014 no couldn't have been probably 2016 yeah when she dropped what when she was yeah when she was 14 was when she first uh ocean eyes and then had a Uh, ep follow-up don't smile at me and she's just blown up in the last like year or so or since she dropped that basically she has 16 million Mm -hmm. followers on instagram she has modeling deals i'm pretty sure she has brand deals at this point she's only 17 man just insane and she has a very specific aura to her at least listening to her music and seeing the public persona i've i've taken in of her she gives this very like goth type vibe goth pop and it's kind of fascinating this so many young people really gravitate towards this listening to her album we all fall asleep where do we go i didn't know what to expect upon first listen i was like this could be a 50 shades of gray album just in terms of these like really like deep (laughs) bass and like airy very stripped down almost lo-fi-ish chords and just spacey songs i was like man this is this is some interesting stuff that is really grabbing the this, this zeitgeist right now. But I didn't hate it. I'm wondering, what was your takeaway from this Billie Eilish album? I, I also liked it a lot more than I expected to. I didn't love her debut EP, Don't Smile At Me, from August 2017. I think there's some, some good songs on there, like My Boy, and uh, there's a song with Vince Staples on there, funny enough. But ultimately, I was like, "Yeah, she just kind of sounds like Low Rent Lord to me." And like, obviously, she's indebted to Lord a lot. Both you mentioned the goth style, which is uncommon for someone in mainstream pop music, but also the the lo-fi production and the spacey beats and then the lower lower register and the I guess really measured delivery uh, when she sings and stuff. Right? There's a lot of obvious nods to Lord's artistry, also nods to Lana Rey. A lot, a lot, a lot of influence all over the place. Really, I mean. She also cites Tao the Creator as a big influence, and you can kind of see it. But this new out, al- this debut album, you know, I was again I, like you, I didn't really know what to expect. Honestly, I knew she was adored by Gen Z, like she's just like the Gen Z pop star icon right now. It's like her and Khalid, and I, I had, again I hadn't really loved a song from hers before. So going in, being a big Lord fan, I'm just gonna be like, get off my lawn. I don't want this shit. Lord's better, and I still think Lord's better. But I came away pleasantly surprised with this, and I think she—I think she now has really realized that potential that she's kind of been lauded for already. Like, I mean, she, again, she was signed to Interscope when she was 15, 14. Like, she's been signed to a major label for years now, and I think now we can finally point to now she actually has some real records, yeah. some like good songs. The sky's the limit, I think, to be honest given how popular she is and wildly loved she is by her peers yeah yeah i was impressed i'm really impressed also she seems to have a very like down-to-earth perspective in terms of things you know she's gone on record saying that she doesn't use drugs or alcohol just something that doesn't really she's not really interested in she's come out and said that she is diagnosed with tourette's syndrome and something that she deals with she's pretty open and i think very like in tune with you know that gen z type perspective on the world I mean, there's a song on this called uh, "Sometimes I Wish You Were Gay," <laughs> or w- "Wish You Were Gay," which I mean is right. I think something that w- I couldn't imagine a song title like that coming out like ten to fifteen years ago. And now this is like a main pop artist saying this. I found it very impressive. I also I, I don't know if you listen on Spotify, but Spotify's new I feature do. where you, they have art and different like videos with the songs as they play. Some really creepy visuals along with these songs. There's like one where. She, mm-hmm. like, her in a nightmare and her eyes are, like, bugging out. And, like, there's another one where it's, like, a, like an insane asylum and there's, like, a strobe light going on. A lot of like, really creepy visuals that I thought added a lot to it. I love that Spotify feature. What song stood out to you the most? So, I mean, the singles were, there's a few singles. Bad Guy, You Should See Me in a Crown, But She Were Gay, Bury Your Friend. I think most of those songs are pretty cool. Yeah. I like Bury Your Friend. But the two songs that really stood out to me were All the Good Girls Go to Hell. Mm-hmm. And my strange addiction. I thought my strange addiction fucking slaps, bro. <laughs> That's got awesome synths and mixes that in with samples of the Office TV. Show. Yeah, tastefully, logically done. I thought that song rules. Uh-huh. Again, I didn't expect to have a Billy song I thought was so re- replayable because again, she's kind of low energy on the mic and lo- more low-fi in production. You should see me in the crown. That that has obvious EDM production, right? right? So I think that has that-, that can get the party going a little bit more, but. Yeah, my strange addiction kind of blew me away because I remember when I was listening to and like when all go- all the good all the good girls go to hell, excuse me, track five. I'm like I'm listening and I remember all of us saying, "Oh, this is good." Mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling it at first, and then I think the album in the middle really really takes off. So my strange addiction is definitely my go-to for this. What about you? I really like that guy only because it has like that it, all the songs on this. So my one critique probably would be I feel like there's a, a similar structure to these where it starts off a like lo-fi airy and then like slowly builds into this drop around the chorus and then kind of goes back to it it's very quiet but then builds up i thought bad guy had the most like intriguing chorus with like that weird like almost like poker face ish like uh sound no 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 i was like ooh like that it really just caught me the way that that came in um all good girls that go to hell i thought had the best lyrics around the chorus at least really i thought catchy and actually kind of like thought-provoking in a sense which i didn't expect to get take away from a 17 year old album props to her for being <laughs> yeah, for sure thoughtful and insightful yeah i, I mean my my strange addiction is also very good i thought the like the last couple songs listen before i go i love you and goodbye kind of were just too low energy for me to really get into but overall the The beginning to middle of the album is very strong, very impressed. I think the takeaway is that she's just the biggest star that kind of speaks to that like Gen Z worldview as you spoke to that angst, that nihilistic view, and the fact that she's so successful with stuff that doesn't sound immediately friendly when you describe it like that That really speaks to, I think, the star power and future success that comes. So going to be a huge record. I didn't check the projections, but I mean, shit, she's the 20th most popular artist on Spotify right now. He's fucking huge, and she'll continue to be huge for a long time. Absolutely insane. Yeah, you know, something that probably not going to be as huge as Billie Eilish, but a director that's quite big right now, Jordan Peele, dropping his uh television, his tele, well, not television debut obviously, but newest television project, Twilight Zone on CBS All Access. Dave, they dropped the first episode on YouTube. Give give people a little taste. Get them to give up that, that mm-hmm. hard-earned money for that uh, CBS All Access pass. What did you think of episode one? I didn't get a chance to watch it, so I wanted to check in with you around it. Right, and I also didn't get a chance to watch episode two, which is on All Access right now. I think now it's going to start airing on Thursdays, but they dropped the first two this morning. It's funny because like, it's, it's been described and described as a peel, man. Us. of people talking about us now. Twilight Zone's coming. And it's like, well, he's producing Twilight Zone. And he's the host slash narrator, like Rod yeah. Sterling. But he didn't direct it of this. He didn't write any of this. So it's not as much of a Peel project the way Get Out and Us are. But still, it's still exciting to see him involved. And I think what immediately stands out is that he's really good as the Rod Sterling role, as the host and narrator, and present in the world of the episode, which is really mm-hmm. cool. I remember when this got announced, I want to say end of 2017, I want to say, it's like Peel's producing Cloud Zone for CBS All Access. And everyone's like, all right, well, Good on CBS All Access. You got to get stuff people want to watch, and people will definitely tune into this. A smart call. Then everyone realizes, wait, do we really need this? I mean, we're getting Black Mirror season, what is it, season five, season six this year. We just had Banner Snatch. Amazon put out Electric Dreams beginning of last right. year. I mean, anthology series that are commenting on technology and the modern world and humans' relationship with said technology. There's a lot of it right now. Most of it's pretty good. Do we need the original most famous anthology show to come back they tried to bring it back a few times do we need this fair questions but i think it's definitely worth it it's funny because this first episode i thought ultimately it stars kumal nanjani who we love uh, i thought ultimately it was a little too predictable the conceits a little a little obvious you kind of grasp where the episode's going and it's one of the longer episodes so it maybe meanders a little bit but it's still really well done both looks cool I think it's still really sharply written, even if overall the concept's kind of easy to figure out. Kumail plays a struggling comic, which is quite meta, love it, and he meets Tracy Morgan, who's a famous comic, and he passes on some wisdom for Kumail to improve his career. I don't want to say any more, but once you understand where it's going, you can kind of see the finish line, but I still think it's like still smart enough, smartly done enough That it's like, all right, well, let me see what the next episode is. And the next one, again, I haven't seen it yet, but it has Adam Scott. And we know from the show, there's quite a cast of actors and actresses we love on this show to come. So I still want to keep watching. It's not a show like the Romanoffs, where it's like, ah, man, bit of a snoozer. (sighs) Don't know about this show. Then you watch the whole show, and you're like, oh, wow, this was an anthology of snoozers. (laughs) What a waste of time. That's not what this is. So. That's that's exciting and good for CBS, man, because they really needed this because they got the Star Trek heads, but they need more. Yeah, you know, I, I mean they did need something, and I like like there is going to be fatigue eventually around these sorts of shows especially because they're all the same structure and the same idea i'm sure twilight twilight Zone will have its own twist and i like that now all the episodes are an hour long that they're varying it up but i don't know yep. gonna be interesting any other thoughts before we move on we'll, we'll be talking about it as the season goes on yeah we'll, we'll be talking about it i think like black mirror i think generally black mirror is a show that's still commands goodwill from the audience because even if there are episodes that naturally are not as good not as interesting or compelling generally you understand that they are the the creators the writers they like you trust them and trust their eye for quality and like you have to kind of give anthology creators a bit of a pass at times because you have to create something totally new every mm-hmm. single episode within this larger conceit right so it's challenging art to make i mean heck even with shows like fargo right like that show kept going, despite maybe not needing to keep going. Yet Noah Hawley had to keep figuring out ways to make whole new seasons. Anthology shows—you're literally doing that each episode. So I think it's—it's it's, uh, when episodes change, you know. So I think it's it's quite a it's quite the mon- uh, you know monumental task, especially when you're trying to live up to the legacy of the Twilights and one of the most famous and lauded shows. But I think I think it's definitely wow. I'm looking forward to watching that second episode very soon. And like you said, we'll talk about the full season soon so check it out on cbsl access it's only six dollars a month with a week free so i think you only need two months to watch the whole show so it's not that bad not that bad check at all out. hbo gearing back up into full swing here game of thrones like we mentioned coming back in two weeks from yesterday but premiering last night was season seven of veep and season two of barry i'll, I'll just uh, vamp quick on veep we've talked about veep before on here uh, i like checking with it it's one of the most well-written shows um, you know ianucci just uh released death of stalin last year fantastic movie oh, that yeah. we both enjoyed and if you like that movie you'll like beep the writing is very quick very sharp <laughs> some of the lines from this show i just like can't believe that they actually make it on and i mean you obviously have julie Louis Dreyfus at the top but the cast is just stacked you know you got Tony Hale from Arrested Development Matt Walsh who you would recognize from a bunch of like the movies from the early 2000s everything yeah he's in everything Reed Scott Timothy Simons who's kind of been the breakout of the show um his star has really risen Mm -hmm. as Jonah you know Gary Cole which is uh, one of the uh, that guy in Hollywood I would say just I mean if you keep scrolling through you'll find everybody Paul Scheer had like a very tiny role in, in this in this and he somehow like reappears and every time it's just very funny i haven't gotten to him yet yeah that's exciting he's like he's like a tv (laughs) producer on it and just like shows up every once in a while it's great just one of the best and one of the best shows on tv for comedy and this season selena's running (laughs) which uh for president which she thinks is her second time doing it but it's actually her fourth time which she keeps (laughs) being reminded of andy daly joined the cast this season he it seems like he's gonna have a very funny running gag on this show, which is gonna be great. and Jonah is also running for president, which adds like a nice absurdist perspective on on the whole thing <laughs> in, in last That's night's funny. episode, I mean, I'm not spoiling too much because uh, I won't really go on the jokes on it, but he's married to his stepsister, which uh, comes out while he's being interviewed on television, so some very funny jokes around that yeah i mean if you if you haven't watched veep, it's only each episode's only thirty minutes, and especially with the current political climate it adds a levity and an absurdity that you can enjoy rather than the absurdity of our normal political atmosphere so it's, it's great right i think that that point there is kind of the what people are most looking forward to for this final season because for the first what six seasons it existed as the most accurate sh- political show on tv all the dc folks say it was closer to that than it was to house of cards certainly right and more importantly it was lampooning and having a go at you know the machinations of, of of politics right and it was done really well and you said it's so well written so smart and also it's hilarious that it's really the whole package but now when you have a political this is the first season that is coming out with trump in office because julia she had a can- breast cancer right or cancer anyway and they had to postpone this final season mm. so now we have a season coming out where political climate is so ridiculous all the time that how can you really lampoon it so i really want to see what the what this final season tries to say. It's uh, interesting. yeah, it's it's basically what people have seen the whole season say is that it's different but it's one of those shows where you're getting to see people who are just phenomenal at their job and even if it's different it's still one of the better shows on TV. so it's worth checking into. another show which I think is one of the best on TV was definitely at the top of our best of list for the first season is Barry uh, starring Bill Hader. he's like a executive producer and sometimes a director on this as well very the show looking at barry played by by bill Hader, obviously who is um, a hitman who wants to become an actor and get out of the life of being a hitman allison herman of the ringer i think had a very interesting way of summarizing the first season which is uh is barry a good person or not was kind of like the question throughout and she said that the second season seems to be when will barry recognize that he's not a good person which think is a pretty interesting right. question to be underlying the whole season what'd you take away from the premiere yeah and i think that conceit right there is important because barry season one ends in such a masterful way that it the shows as as a as a whole feels like it didn't need to continue barry uh, spoiler for season one i don't know why you're watching this if you haven't seen season one but uh, Barry kills Moss at the end, right? And he's like, "All right, now I'm going to restart my life now." After he's totally corrupted himself by killing his former military friend and now Moss, two innocent people that didn't deserve to die. You know, he can rationalize it as they were criminals, right? And now that Barry is seemingly an irredeemable person, we have to watch more and see like what, what, what's going on, right? Is Barry? Are they going to try and redeem Barry? Is that where mm-hmm. we're going? Or they going to actually stick to the darkness? Because I think ultimately, this is a show that has lots of funny moments, but ultimately it's pretty fucking dark. Yeah. Man. Like Barry himself is having a tough time. And now of this season two, uh, Gene and Henry Winkler is also having a tough time, obviously, as his girlfriend yep. was murdered. So it's dark. And it feels like they, they I mean, they decided that they wanted to make the second season. So um, obviously, I trust Hader and Berg's hand with this. And also, how can you blame Hader for? having his, like, best role to date, you know, while keep it going, I understand, but, yeah, where they're ultimately taking it, whether it's Hater realizing he's a bad guy, then whatever happens next, or Hater actually truly becoming a better person, I'd like, like to see what happens with Barry, it's pretty interesting. But, yeah, I mean, this I think the second season really starts to put that question in your mind and just kind of kick it going, but uh, I'm, again, looking forward to more, I thought I had season one as my number four show of the year last year, so obviously i'm very excited about this yeah and the the first episode episode of the season i think does a really good job of kind of the, like the question of selfishness is kind of i feel like it's at the center of it you know barry's trying to hold this acting class together as henry winkler's gene is grieving and doesn't want to hold the class anymore and kind of about the things we withhold even at the end sally played by sarah goldberg barry, barry gives this long monologue very emotional which I, maybe we'll talk about in a second that they actually play out about his the, his first time killing somebody. And Sally's like, oh, I really want to be here for you, but I can't tonight. And actually I have a thing in the morning. So maybe we can, maybe I can be there for you at like noon tomorrow. That is like the most perfect, <laughs> I feel like way to like summarize the whole thing, you know, and maybe one of like the least selfish people in the show, which is Soho Hank, which, or maybe is it Noho, Noho Hank? Sorry. Noho. Noho Hank, which is yeah. Anthony Kerrigan. Yeah. He's, I mean, I think the, the surprise breakout of the show he ends up also kind of like showing his dark side and having to be a little bit selfish in this season as well at least at the beginning it's very interesting to see how they're like playing with these themes and you can kind of see where it's going in terms of like uh you know Stephen root's character is, is you know, being held by the police and it seems like they're going to start getting some leads that Barry is the person that committed these murders in the first season but just really really funny and interesting and like a dark at times thing i mean the whole scene about his monologue and then acting it out i thought was really really effective in terms of being emotional and just capturing you in that moment yeah i'm curious to see how they keep noho hank keep the bolivians and the chechenians and uh, now the burmese i guess too how do they keep them into the story you know, is Barry gonna fall back in somehow? Is NoHo Hank gonna make him do something? Seeing how they they keep that thread going, I'm curious to see. Also, Sally um doesn't know obviously Barry's secret. I hope they can keep her feeling integral to the plot and don't like short shrift the character if they keep her in the dark while long. Right? right. If Barry's doing all these things, beating the police, doing stuff with NoHo Hank, that's gonna feel more important because he's the lead character. And Sally, everything that's with Sally is gonna is gonna feel irrelevant because she doesn't actually know what's going oh. on. I feel like that that's that's some a trope that happens a lot in shows with with some kind of mystery or lying or something like that. So I hope they can keep her going. I really like Sarah Goldberg. I think she's really great and I think Sally's a character is uh even though she I think she had her moments up and down with the writing in season one, I think as someone in LA and I think we're gonna get to see uh, the dark side of her, or at least what troubles her in this season. Uh, judging off what Jean was looking to uh, lead with the class, I hope they can keep her feeling important. But overall, I'm very excited that Barry's back. Barry Veep and Game of Thrones, man. And then once that ends, they have big little eyes. HBO's really heating up right now. Yeah, a Murder's Row for HBO, which is par for the course for them. Something that was n- not considered part of a Murder's Row ever. The Beach Bum, Harmony Corinne director of spring breakers releases this matthew mcconaughey led movie follow-up to oh, what was this serenity that was uh movie. yes serenity god yep another matthew we movie. reviewed it check it out yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah. go give it a like if you hate matthew, that matthew mcconaughey movie because we certainly did not like it we thought it had a very strange twist and just so weird oh god matthew mcconaughey though i mean the beach bum i think it's right there if not possibly worse than serenity which is saying a lot but i almost couldn't make it through this film got about halfway through and i was really like man i don't know if i can commit another 45 minutes to this especially because 45 minutes in i think they had just gotten to like the wedding and when like there's actually some conflict driving the, the plot finally I don't know. I I guess maybe we should start off by kind of giving a breakdown of what the movie is. So Matthew McConaughey plays this genius bum who just kind of like hangs out on boats in Key West and is living the dream. Just getting drunk, getting high, sleeping with women. Fucking. Yeah, just getting. Moondog. Yeah, Moondog, getting tan all day. His wife back in Miami, who I played by Isla Fisher, who's uh, sleeping with his friend. Excellently cast, by the way she was great yeah she was fantastic i mean she's she's always great i feel like she's having an affair with with moon dog's friend lingerie uh played by snoop dog who also is playing an r&b singer i don't know if he would make a country <laughs> song or not who knows um and then basically at some point isla fisher dies after moon dog comes back to miami for his daughter's wedding and kind of about his journey from there i suppose is kind of the story i don't know yeah i guess like what, what is the conflict of this People trying to make him live a normal life and him resisting that? The message, or if there even was attempted at one, it's hard to grasp because I feel like there's no there's no growth for Moondog. He just continues to be who he always was at the beginning of the movie as, as he is at the end. Even though he loses a wife, comes into and then out of and then comes back into lots of money. like It doesn't matter. He just is who he is. And I guess because he's true to himself and knows who he is, he's happy and that's all that matters. Okay, sure. The problem is that the movie can be a tough hang at times because I feel like it really starts to spin its wheels because, again, Moondog doesn't really change. So you're just kind of seeing Moondog do the same shit in a different spot. Yep. And I think there are very amusing cameos. Zac Efron, Martin Lawrence, I thought both those guys went balls to the wall, especially Efron. And Lawrence's scenes is just so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. They're funny. But it's like <laughs> th- because the plot doesn't have like really any forward momentum after what happens, Fisher happens... It doesn't feel like it really matters. Yeah. And, like, I'm watching in the beginning, and uh, I'm like, I forget what exactly I saw, but I saw something that, like, made my mouth drop. Maybe something he said, I forgot. And I was like, oh, this is pretty funny. This is amusing. And McConaughey just doesn't give a shit. Like, he's just going for it, whatever. He's he's clearly off the McConaissance. He's been off that, as we've known. Okay, cool, I'm with it. And then it just continues to just devolve. Uh, the stuff with, I thought Snoop Dogg's stuff was pretty funny. But, yeah, just the story is just so... I guess unbelievable because there's just a total lack of consequences the whole time. Yep. And like no one can say no to him because he's this deep prophetic orator, I guess. This is tough to cut the grasp. Maybe if I saw it when I was fucked up, maybe I'd appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah, that that was actually my thought as I was leaving the theater as I probably should've just gotten high before I saw this and maybe I would have enjoyed it more. But the thing is it's I don't even know something like Harold and Kumar, Cheech and Chong, those are stoner movies. I guess if this film had kind of like gone a little bit more into like the absurdity of like stonerism, maybe that would have been it. But I really Mm -hmm. feel like what it was trying to say is like he's this eccentric guy who lives this eccentric lifestyle that's basically counterculture. And because of that, like everybody who doesn't understand him or know him, like Limp Dick -Dick Frank, for example, like just can't really understand like his (laughs) appeal. But like, because he's so like different, like that's what actually makes him great and like a genius, and I was like, Ah man, I don't know if I if I really buy this, especially because I would have I wouldn't mind it if there was something redeemable about Moondog as a character, but I didn't really find that much to root for with him. I mean, he was a womanizer, an alcoholic, a uh, substance abuser, he robbed people, he like just destroyed things without regard probably like the the one moment i felt something for his character was when he was uh you know he saw his, uh, lingerie and his wife hooking up and you could tell he was like affected by that and then right after mm-hmm. isla fisher dies you could tell he was affected by that but otherwise I just kind of like this guy just doesn't give a fuck about anything like i, I neither can i with the with the, the way that this right. movie is filmed so that's kind of where i was at with it i do want to say the soundtrack was Great, a lot of Jimmy Buffett in there who actually has cameos throughout, of course, he does, yeah, of course. <laughs> and you know, a little Van Morris in there at the end. The, the Cure came in a couple times, I thought it was a pretty solid soundtrack, uh, very enjoyable. And Martin Lawrence, dude, that that whole scene where he's swimming out to the sharks, I was like dying, like that was like the one moment I was like, All right, like I'm, I'm oh, here the this. dolphins, man, We're here. <laughs> come on in. <laughs> oh, man, so, so funny. funny. How'd this movie do at the box office, Dave? Oh, god, so Serenity. <laughs> Was McConaughey's previous worst wide opening ever, like 4.4 million? Beach Bum underperformed its already low at projections. It only made 1.8 million opening weekend in like a thousand plus theaters. Yes. Very bad. Distributed by Neon. And Neon's had a bit of a tough hang recently. Fox Lux didn't do good. Assassination Nation didn't do good. They really haven't had anything be much of a big hit for them besides Itania and Three Identical Strangers. So for one of those indie upstart this is like year three of them. like They're a very new movie distributor. They're having a bit of a tough go. And again, like, this movie clearly was not expensive, but it's still going to somehow be a disappointment because it's just not making any money back. And ultimately like thinking about this, thinking about Spring Breakers, Corinne's past movies, really reminds me of Harmony Corinne as a figure in the film industry and just kind of the weird career he's had and whether this bomb, right, I wonder if this really hurts his ability to get things financed because he's already making something at such a low scale. I was really interested in him initially just because, I mean, he wrote Kids when he was 19 and Kids, you know, influenced mid-90s, which came out last year and kind of one of those cult classic movies about pre-Giuliani New York City representing teenage kids and really dark fucked up movies really controversial but I think really says a lot has a really cool message and really stands up today I mean I only just saw it recently and the fact that he decided to take the goodwill he had and again this was back in the 90s he's made other stuff since then wrote other stuff since then but the past two films being Spring Breakers and Beach Bum in like a six seven year span just kind of disappointing because you just feel like he could Bring more to the table. Beach ball honestly, like if you just want some dumb BS, I'd say watch, you might be amused. But I was expecting a little bit more, to be honest, and just didn't get it. And Jonah Hill, I love Jonah Hill, and I, like I thought his Annabelle accent as New dog's agent, like I thought that was funny, but it clearly came off as acting yeah. and like fake. I agree. I was like, I don't. Know, this is not Joe. Jonah. Like Jonah's barely holding it together, doing this eighteen sixties <laughs> <Yeah>. southern accent. <laughs> Why don't we move off Beach Bum? I, I can't even care anymore about it. What about Dumbo? Tell me, how, did you enjoy it? I think Dumbo's okay. It's ultimately, it's, it's a kid's movie. And what I mean by that is its messaging, its storytelling is not subtle at all. It's very straightforward, on the nose, all that. So as an adult, it's tough to really glean too much from Dumbo besides just what it is on the surface. The movie is underpoint the box office, only 45 million. That's the, really the worst of the big... Disney reimaginings of classic animated movies and the critics are pretty down on it and it kind of brings up the cynical point Bobby to bring up it's like why do these movies exist in the first place and ultimately you know I think we mentioned at the end of the po- past few pods it's like Dumbo came out in was it 1941 literally the fourth Disney animated movie ever Dumbo itself is only an hour and change long Dumbo doesn't even talk does Dumbo have a lot of hardcore fans do we need a remake a reimagining of Dumbo and the answer is no I don't think we didn't do, we needed this, and the fact that it was made by Tim Burton, but Tim Burton doesn't really bring anything to the table these days. Disappointing. I mean, like it's truly a reimagining. Like there's all these new characters, there's all this new plot. Most like Dumbo learns to fly early in this, and I think everything in the original Dumbo film that they keep is front-loaded to the beginning of this new one, and it changes and a lot of human characters, but they're really archetypes. Like they really you understand exactly what they're doing. And they don't really bring much to the table. Like Michael Keaton looks like he's having a fun time, but he's clearly obviously the bad guy. Yeah, and Danny DeVito is having a great time as a uh, Medici, the leader of the circus. But he only can do so much because all these characters are really one-note. The plot is largely driven by Colin Farrell, this World War One veteran, and his two kids, little young kids. And the kids again, they're not subtle at all. So like the fact that they're driving the plot, when you took them out of the store, they probably wouldn't have mattered at all. Thing says how like thin the story was, but. I mean, the Dumbo CGI was good, and Dumbo flying scenes were cool, but yeah, it just, it just doesn't, doesn't elevate the Dumbo story enough, and I, I guess a Dumbo reimagining probably never could do that, so I don't know, you know, it, it's tough to really ask much of it. I mean, the pink elephant scene that's famous in the original one, that comes back in a cool way, I like that, it looked cool. But ultimately the message is about, like, not selling out to the, the corporate overlord, who's Keaton, which is just really rich because the movie's coming from Disney who is taking over the film industry? industry. So it's really hard to get down with that message, even if you tell it really simply. Yeah, I I think it's okay. And ultimately, even if this loses some money for Disney, it's not going to matter at all because they have Aladdin, (laughs) The Lion King, Mm -hmm. Maleficent 2, and Mulan coming out in the next year. Aside from Maleficent, those other three are Disney Renaissance Mm -hmm. remakes from 89 to 99, most nostalgic period of Disney animation for people these days. Ultimately, I think this the movie. The takeaway is what it was when it got announced. Don't think we really needed this one. Yeah, and the more and more I, I think about why they're putting these all together, it seems pretty obvious. They just want to get these live action films out, have people see them before they release their streaming service. So that if somehow you haven't watched Disney films or you needed another reason,
1: they'll be on there, and that'll probably
0: be the only place you can you can see those. So gonna be pretty interesting just how this these kind of play into the streaming war especially with the way it's going i mean aladdin the second trailer looked a lot better i thought i saw it before beach bum and i was a lot more excited after seeing that just a side note once upon a time in hollywood on the big screen that that trailer i could not be more excited to see that movie (laughs) but (laughs) but, in lion king i i think it is going to be can't miss just with that voice cast and what we have seen of the animation so far looks incredible so Definitely going to be interesting to see as I wrap up the year. And I think it's time to wrap up, wrap up the show. Any closing thoughts for the people, Dave? Other un- uh, announced Disney remake of sorts is The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which just got first mentioned back in January. Josh Gatt, perhaps, involved. And that, again, that that's a Disney Renaissance era film, but I'm wondering how that one will do, because that one doesn't seem as popular as, obviously, Aladdin or Lion King, right? Um, so I'm curious to see if they really go forward making that one, because, again, it's not date or anything yet, and Mulan comes out early next year, and then there'll be nothing left on the calendar of this type of remake of sorts. So I was actually going to ask you, what of the remaining Disney Renaissance films would you most want to see reimagined? Yes, we know we don't need these, but if they were to make ones, they probably will. Which one would you want? The options, obviously, are Tarzan, Little Mermaid, Hercules, Pocahontas, and also The Rescuers Down Under, which is probably your best. Oh, man, I feel like Pocahontas is problematic (laughs) at this point to remake um yeah i, pro- I think i um, like lean probably a little mermaid especially with everything we've seen with like underwater and you know under the sea yeah that's that my probably might and then tarzan would be number two the only thing is like tarzan with that soundtrack you just kind of roll it roll that back you can get someone else to do it get phil Collins to reimagine it i don't know just so i feel like the soundtrack is integral to that plus they had that tarzan live action with scars guard and if i remember right that wasn't actually disney that didn't do well well yeah that was warner brothers same way like Snow White and the huntsman was actually universal so maybe because tarzan is not strictly disney ip they wouldn't be as invested in it but yeah i think little mermaid's kind of the obvious choice but then i was thinking like hercules i know hercules is kind of popular but i think hercules is kind of like the low end of this era like i think mean, it's it's good amusing but it's not like amazing so maybe they could redo Hercules and make it mm. amazing. But then again, there's been a lot of Hercules stuff apart from Disney, so maybe they don't care as much. I don't know, It'd be interesting. I'm trying to think of a red-headed younger actress who could play Ariel. I mean, my my first thought was Isla Fisher, but she's a little, she's a little too old to play, I think, Ariel. Right. Oh, I just remembered. They're also doing the Cruella de Vil, Cruella prequel with Emma Stone. I forgot about that one. Technically, 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close is the right. first of these remakes, but that was back in what, 96? So interesting Interesting. we'll see what happens absolutely so stay tuned with us what do we got next week yeah next week no rest for the weary man shazam with fantastic reviews from dc awesome for them killing eve season two starts on sunday khalid his second album free spirit drops on friday game of thrones will be a week out from next week's pods we'll be talking all about the season predictions expectations who dies all that shit and some other stuff too blackpink the most streamed listened to female group right now k-pop they're dropping an album best of enemies maybe that's good peter lou's coming out so a lot of stuff so make sure you pay attention to that watch our pod account at nostalgia pod see what's good and we'll be back as always yeah hit that subscribe button give us that five star rating review on itunes we appreciate you be happy for fool's day peace out